As we look closer to what God treasures, we must ask ourselves, what really brings the God of all eternity the most honor? Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. I wonder if there are any here that need to make a treasure deposit in heaven. That he's like, you know, I need to start doing things that God would have me to do. A deposit of being used by God. That I would be his hands in something. Or I would be his touch. I would be his smile in someone's life. And you know, I'll be his helping hand to someone in need. For that's not only well-pleasing to the Lord, but again, it's a treasury deposit in heaven. I was riding my Harley one day when I was still living in Riverside. So this is about maybe 12 years ago. And I remember riding over to the Harley dealer and, you know, whatever, I was doing something there. And I was getting ready to leave. And there was a gal there. And she was talking about her husband. And she had recognized me from church. And she just said, you know, my husband rides a Harley. And I, I can't get him to church. And, you know, I, I didn't know you, Pastor, had a, a motorcycle. My you know, my husband just didn't have any connection with anybody that's a Christian that rides and, you know, whatever. I just wish that someone like you could come talk to my husband. I'm like, well, where do you live? She's like, well, I live over here in Canyon Crest. I go, well, so do I. I'll tell you what, I'll follow you home. You know, and she goes, okay. So I followed her home and I pulled up in a driveway and she went in the house and told her husband that, the pastor's outside. <laughs> and so he came out in the garage and I shared the gospel with him. I invited him to church and it was like revolution of this guy, like revolutionary, I should say. You know, it's like, wow, there's Christians that ride motorcycles and da 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 da, you know. And, and we just had this great talk. I talked to him for like an hour in his garage and just encouraging him. And all of a sudden, he started coming to harvest. Just something as simple as that another guy, a pastor on a motorcycle, and it just ministered to this guy and he started coming in a church. You know, it's like, was it worth giving up an hour of my time? Yes. You know, and sometimes that's all it takes is just reaching out to someone and meeting them right where they're at. Just being real with them. Be relatable to people. You know, I don't want to stand up here like, oh, yes, I'm the pastor and everything's perfect. (laughs) It's like, not everything's perfect. I mess up. You mess up. But yet we strive to be who God desires us to be. Remember what Jesus will say one day. He will say this. Here in Matthew, you can flip over to chapter 25, verse 34. Jesus said this. Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So when's he going to say this to us? When we stand before him in the end. Verse 35 says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Now, imagine you're standing before Jesus and he's saying this to you. And you're thinking to yourself, you were hungry and I gave you something to eat. You know, you're thirsty. You know, you were a stranger and you invited me in. Verse 36, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, this will be like us, we would say this back to Jesus if he said that to us, and we'll answer him saying, Lord, 
when did you, we see you hungry? I mean, yeah, I mean, if, you know, you wanted to go to In-N-Out with me, I would have taken you, but I don't remember seeing you hungry and, and fed you. Or when did I see you thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you, you know, sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it as to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it as unto me. And so, you know, we have to start thinking about things in a different perspective. Every day, you know, again, opening a door for someone. Someone drops something. Yeah, too bad for you. You're kind of a mess, you know. (laughs) No, help them out. And it's like every time you're just spreading a little bit of Jesus around. And that's why I always tell people, because people will want to compliment you when you do something nice, right? They're like, oh, you're such a good person. You just pat me on the back. I feel so good, you know. No, 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 no. I don't want to take any credit for anything. You know, that's why when someone hands me back too much change, you know, I give them a 10, they give me change for a 20. And I'm thinking like, hey, great, man, lunch for tomorrow. Yes. No, I don't do that. But I just say, oh, hey, you gave me too much change back. I give them the money back. Or someone drops money. Have you ever had someone drop like a 20 spot in front of you? I mean, it's happened to me a couple times. I mean, you know, I'll pick up, hey, excuse me, you just dropped this right here. Where other people would be like, oh, I scratch my ankle. Oh, okay, see ya. You know, no, I always give it back. And people will say, oh, oh, thank you so much. You're so nice. It's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm a Christian. Before I came to Christ, I would have kept that. <laughs> and I told them that. I say, but Jesus made such a change in my life. Man, here, I just want to give it back to you. I want to give credit where credit is due because even when we do a kind deed, would we have done that kind deed before Christ? I wouldn't have. Maybe you would have. Maybe you're just a goody two-shoes, and that's fine. That's good. We need more goody two-shoes like you. But me, I wasn't like that. It was all about me, myself, and I. But now I want Jesus to get all the credit for things. I don't want the credit for those things. Yes, all those things our treasure deposits, whatever we do for the least of people, we'll do it as unto him. And they're all, again, treasure deposits, which brings up our point, a treasure to God. Yes, as we look closer to what God himself treasures, we must ask ourselves, what really brings the God of all eternity the most delight? Think about that. What brings God the most delight? Is it buying him a, a new tie? Is, let me get God a box of chocolates. What do you buy the God that has everything? What is the thing that brings God himself? Not you. What brings God delight? I wonder if it's the splendor of the heavens or something outside of another galaxy that he's created. Maybe it's something he created in another solar system. I wonder if it's those heavenly creatures that the Old Testament prophet Isaiah talked about in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, where he said, Seraphim stood above the Lord God, having six wings, and two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and two he flew around, and he called to another, and he said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So, I mean, does the Lord get all excited about the seraphim? They're flying around the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy. I mean, that must be a pretty good sight. I can't 
wait to see it when we get to heaven. But is that what brings delight to the Lord? I can't imagine seeing that one day. I can't imagine what heaven's going to be like completely. Or what about all the angels in heaven? Millions upon millions. Listen to Revelation 7, 11. It says, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne of God in worship. Wow, what's that picture going to be like? Is that what really brings God to light, all these angels in heaven that have fallen prostrate before him? I can't wait to be part of that worship service as the angels fall down. But let's look for a moment what God's true treasure is, where God finds his greatest joy. We'll have to take a look back to the Old Testament book of Exodus that we will study here starting next week. We'll be in there for probably about a year. But turn to Exodus chapter 19. Now, let's consider the backdrop here. God has supernaturally delivered his people out of the slavery that they were in bonds to the Egyptians. And he did it by his heavy hand of judgment upon Pharaoh and upon all of Egypt. And now Pharaoh is dead and all of his army is dead. That happened when God split the Red Sea and the people walked across on dry ground. Then as Pharaoh came across to try to kill the people of God, he closed the Red Sea upon him and his whole army and they all drowned. Egypt has been ravaged and destroyed and the people of God have been set free, but the party was short-lived. The people are on their own now and they left everything else behind and they are moaning and groaning and griping and complaining about everything. Okay, it's hot out here. Where's the water at? I'm hungry. My feet are tired. They're just complaining about everything. So God intervenes with a miracle and then another miracle and another miracle, turning contaminated water into fresh water. He provides heavenly food called manna. All you have to do is go out and pick it up every day. All they did was walk around their tent and pick up this food off the ground. He went on to provide meat for them and water out of a rock. And they, people just didn't appreciate everything that God did. And on top of all that, God showed himself mighty with a a cloud that they followed by day and a pillar of fire by night. So you can just look up, well, there's God. And we're just gonna follow that pillar of fire or that cloud wherever it moves. Yes, it was a rough group, but yet God loved them just like he loves us in our own rebellion. But here in Exodus chapter 19, God wants to reason with them. So let's pick up and read in Exodus 19 verse 1. It says, In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, so we're only 90 days into this journey, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And when they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness there of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Verse 3, And Moses went up to God, 
And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me. Above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Wow. You will be a special treasure to me. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Out of all the things in the universe, what's the special treasure? God's people. Now, the mountain here at the end of verse 2, it's referring to the mountain of God. This, of course, is where Moses first encountered God. This is where he saw the, the burning bush and God you know, sent him to go and deliver the people out of Egypt. It's called Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. It's the same place. Simply put, it's just the mountain of God. And the people are being led there by the Spirit of God. For God had a purpose for bringing them there. Notice how God reminds Moses that everything he has seen, God has done. And now he stands in the very place that he stood when God first called him through that burning bush and told him to take off your shoes for the very ground you stand on is holy. And that's where Moses told God, well, hey, no can do. I, I can't go. I can't deliver these people. I can't speak. Lord, you better go get somebody else. Yet look at the faithfulness of God. I wonder how many of us, you know, thought that when we first gave our lives to Jesus, that this wasn't going to work out for us at all. Maybe you thought, man, I've messed up so many times. I mean, so I was thinking about my life. How could God use me? I mean, I'm just a mixed up, messed up teenager. I mean, my parents got divorced when I was 16. And what did I do? Mess my life up. Drugs, drinking, becoming a thief, stealing from my employer, getting a girl pregnant in high school. I mean, it's just like I just did everything wrong. How could God ever use a worthless waste product like me? But yet look At the faithfulness of God. In spite of us, God wants to use us. I wonder how many of us just like, wow, this is just crazy. How could God use me for anything? But yet he he can. But here we are today. And here I am 44 years later. And I'm here with Bible in hand. And it's like, you're here tonight at a Bible study. Who would have thought that 10 years ago? I mean, who would have thought that you'd be sitting in a Bible study in Los Angeles 10 years ago, but yet here you are. So God is faithful beyond measure. Again, here we are. So our sins are forgiven, and God desires to use each and every one of us. Our names have been written in the book of life in heaven, never to be erased, and to All the glory to God for everything he's done in our lives. So if we allow God to change our lives, guess what? He will change our lives. And that'll be our testimony to this world, that there is a God in heaven. Because people that knew me from before, they look at me now and say, how are you even the same person? But yet God has done it in my life. Yes, God has chosen in his infinite wisdom to not only save you and me, 
but to use you and me. We are flawed and we are sinful people, but yet God chooses to use us. That found great hope in Moses and in those people. And it should find great hope inside of us. It should burn it inside of us. Yes, God's love is a love that cannot be compared to any other love. And why is that? Because he sees everything, yet again, he still loves us. Again, think about it. There's nothing that happens under the sun, under the moon, that he doesn't see. Every little thing we do, every lie, every bad attitude, every time we cheat or curse, whatever, he sees it all. But he doesn't give up on us and even tells us that he'll never leave us or forsake us. Again, this is a love that is really beyond measure. It's really beyond our own comprehension to understand how God could really love us. But he simply does. And because of that, that's what should motivate us to want to serve him with good works. Again, not trying to earn salvation. He's already given it to us. It's because of salvation. And then he goes on to say, you will be a special treasure to me. Wow. A special treasure. God says, you are a jewel of great value to him. You are precious to the Lord. Remember what he said to David in Psalm 139? He says, I knew you and I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you came out and you had one day, I knew all of your days. And my thoughts towards you are precious. And the sum of them is like the sand of the sea. Now you might think like, how could God think that way about me? But he just simply does. Why again? Because you are a special treasure to him. We are God's treasure. You know, we go look in the mirror. What do we see? We just see us. But God sees us through the filter of the blood of Jesus And he sees us, and it's like he just loves us. It's amazing. We don't have to have our hair done for the Lord. We don't have to be all made up, you know. We we don't have to be freshly showered, you know. We don't have to, you know, have our teeth brushed, which if you brush your teeth, thank you. But, uh, you know, it's like we don't have to have all that done. When God sees us in the morning at our worst, it's like he loves us just the same. It's just so different than the way people are. Could you imagine if you came, you know, to church this morning or tonight and your hair is all, you know, and you stink because you haven't showered in like three weeks and, you know, you got, you know, breath that's enough to, you know, knock people over. It's like we people would look and say, whoa, you know, but God's like, you know, I, I just love you. You're precious to me. It's amazing. But that's how God loves us. It's crazy. Yes, God doesn't look on the outside. He only looks at the inside. And when we worship him and we seek him without having to see him, when we obey him, when we do what his word says to do simply because he said to do it, that is a great treasure to him. And it also puts treasure in our account in heaven. Our father resides in heaven and he smiles ear to ear when we're doing what he's called us to do. Remember what the prophet Samuel said uh, to Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22. He said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Now, why did he say that? 
He said that because Samuel told Saul to go to this particular group of people and kill everyone, kill the animals, kill everything, because they were cursed of God. And so he went there. He killed everyone, but he didn't kill the animals. He was specifically told to kill all the animals, but he didn't kill the animals. These are perfectly good animals. Why would we kill the animals? So he kept the animals. Why? Because the people were greedy and they wanted them for themselves. Because back in that day, it's not like they had a bunch of other things. It's not like you bought a nice car or motorcycle or this or that. No, no. Animals would show wealth to someone. So the more animals you had, the more wealthy you would be. And so they kept the animals. So Samuel the prophet comes and says, hey, did you do what God said to do? Yes, I did everything that God said to do. Then how come I'm hearing the bleeding of the sheep and the mooing of the cows? You didn't kill all the animals. Well, we were going to use those animals as sacrifices to the Lord. And Samuel's just like, don't you understand? To obey is better than some sacrifice. Yes, I come to church every Sunday and that's good. But if you're living like a heathen all week, it's like, do you think God really likes that? It's like, it's great that you come to church, but don't you think you should start living for the Lord every day? Remember, our relationship with Jesus is 24-7. It's every single day. Yes, we are God's treasure. And he promises to be with us no matter what we do and no matter what transpires in life. And we will never stop being his precious possession. And how does God prove this? It says in Matthew 13, verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And from the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. Remember, we talked about the way that many people define this parable is that heaven is a treasure, the man is us, and we go give up everything we have to follow Jesus, and that we should, obviously. But as we've seen before, the field could also be likened to the world. What if there's a different definition of this parable? It's not just about me going and buying some field out there on the other side of Barstow, so there's a buried treasure in there, and that's how important salvation was. What if this parable had a different meaning? What if this parable was likening it to the world, a place that's full of people who are lost, and the man, instead of being us buying the field, it's God. What if God was the man? What if he was the man? Meaning then that the treasure is us, a people who are capable of worshiping the Lord God, creator of the heavens and the earth by our own free will. And with that free will, we could freely love and honor and worship and obey God. We know that Adam and Eve experienced this for a time in the Garden of Eden before sin came in. Yet, as you know, they fell away and they sinned against God and sin was brought upon men. So what does all of this mean? The treasure in this parable is us, a lost and a sinful people that God desires to redeem and restore, a lost creation that God desires to bring forgiveness and hope to, a people that God desires to bring heaven for eternity. You know, so what did the man do in Matthew 13, 44? He sold all that he had and he bought the field. And that's exactly what God did. He gave everything. He came to this earth. He lived as a man. He gave his own life on the cross for you and for me. To what? To save 
the treasure which was us to him. That's why we're told in Isaiah 43.10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe in me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed and there'll be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord and there's no savior besides me. Yes, this parable is actually the perfect picture of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus gave everything for what was precious to him. And that was you and me. Wow. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789 Los Angeles, California 90034. 